All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, guys, on the line, a cop I like. The sheriff of Santa Cruz County in Arizona, my friend David Hathaway. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Scott. Man, it's good to talk to you again. Um, you're in the news sometimes and catching my attention. Uh, first of all, I wanted to ask you about this uh, news report about the surveillance blimps that uh, they've been flying over your county quite clearly without your permission here um, in the name of border enforcement. The, the first question I had was one that was not addressed in the video at all, which was, are these from the Afghan war? That they're just now bringing home and they figured out something new that they can do with them. <laughs> that kind you know, of that, thing. That's a, a great question because there's been so much repurposing of, you know, military type equipment that goes to cops and whatnot. Um, you know, the, uh, the the armored vehicles and all that kind of stuff. I, I never even thought of that uh, or if it's just a new boondoggle from from a vendor but yeah this thing just popped up a few months ago and it's not right on the border it's uh, about a mile and a half north of the border in the middle of three residential neighborhoods hmm. in nogales arizona and it's a video surveillance platform and there have been other ones gone up along the border like in the county adjacent to me cochise county there's one that's a radar platform but this one is video surveillance and the first question i ask border patrol is look there's been all kinds of shootings and misconduct by border patrol agents in this area. Can I have the footage of when you shot that lady in the head uh, <laughs> in in down downtown uh, Nogales? Can I have the the footage from your surveillance towers along the border of when you shot and killed the 16 year old kid through the fence in Mexico? Shot him 10 times with an M4. You know, can I have the footage of that? You know, but of course, uh, they don't like to be investigated for anything they do. And just by the way, um, I have the largest Border Patrol agent in the country in my county. This is the smallest county of Arizona, but the largest Border Patrol station and the third largest Border Patrol station is in this county also. But I also have the largest ports of entry um, with Mexico. So there's four border counties in Arizona um, and a whole lot of feds, you know, for every one local officer there's like 30 federal agents so it's <laughs> but they whenever they do something like shoot somebody or shoot one of their own um they call in the fbi they call in opr they call inspector general and they cordon off the area and they don't want locals anywhere near it to to investigate it yeah well i mean i just like the overall story here that feds don't get along with the local sheriff on the border in arizona Right there. Oh. <laughs> and then it turns out it isn't because you're some liberal. It's because you ain't because you're libertarian. 
Yeah, it's kind of given me a weird opportunity because you probably know this, Scott, but the uh, the federal agencies won't grant interviews at the local uh, level. So they bump everything up to D.C. or to their PIO, their public information officer in Phoenix. So it's kind of given me a weird opportunity to be a, a freedom spokesman uh, here on anything related to the border, immigration, uh, border issues. And I've kind of, I wasn't expecting this when I first came into the office of sheriff here, but I've become kind of the little de facto border expert. I've memorized all the statistics because that's all they ever asked me about. Like I had a visit from the ambassador from Switzerland. He just came by courtesy visit and mm. He was asking me about the border stuff, and I told him, you know, I'm going to have a heart attack and clutch my 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 chest like Red Fox did on Sadford and Son. If anybody ever asks me anything other than a border question or an immigration question, they don't ask me about sheriff stuff. It's only border stuff. And some weeks I'll do 20 interviews a week, and I just I just talk to all of them. And it's kind of neat because the feds don't they don't they don't defend themselves locally here. It's kind of like I'm I'm the only voice on the issue. Yeah, that is nice. Well, and obviously you got something to say. I mean, this news report, what was that news report, by the way? Uh, what was that from? Were that, you talking that, about the balloon? Oh, yeah, there was a bunch of them. Uh, there was newspaper. There was okay. ABC. I think that one you saw was uh, Arizona Public Arizona, Media. Arizona Public Media. Okay. Uh, you know, what we used to call PBS. Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, great. So, so like for their local news. That runs what with along with the news hour kind of thing, yeah, yeah, exactly. I like I, I made a stink locally. I, I complained about the blimp, and so the local paper picked it up, and then kind of other media picked it up too. And so I did, I did different interviews on that. My stuff was all, you know, this is turning into a police state. There's no control on on the feds. They just do whatever they want to do. And and what have, are they even doing with it? I mean, you say right away that come on, the thing is flying a mile and a half inland. Yeah, well, over these neighborhoods, but then they're not sharing the data. Obviously, when it's their own guys, they're not. But they're not, you know, for whatever. I don't know. Yeah, they're they're not sharing any data with me, and you know that's just the latest iteration of like border um, surveillance type stuff. There's also drones. Um, you know, but Iraq, I'm asking, Afghanistan like, war drones. Yeah, they fly fly over here continually, um, doing their little circle patterns. There's uh, surveillance towers by an Israeli company that are, are on the hilltops, um, oh, yeah? about two miles in from the border. That that's also video. There's ground sensors. There's these motion-activated game cameras all along the border. So you know, I laugh when people say words like Biden's wide open borders, and I'm like, you know what? It's more. It's more surveilled and closed off and more fences and more walls and more, you know, more troops, more, more agents than there ever has been. If I can give you a little bit of statistical insight here in the 80s, 90s and in the 2000s, practically every year there was over a million apprehensions on the southwest border. So that was during uh, Republican administrations, Democrat administrations. And then there was a lull of about 14 years where every year was under a million, most of those years under half a million. So that 14 year period was all eight years of Obama, the last two years of Bush Jr. and four years of Trump. But before that, 
the record was set during the Reagan administration. It was tied again during the Bush administration, uh, during the Clinton administration of 1.6 million. And then of all this goofy, fuzzy math, ever since they started doing all this Title 42 stuff and invalidating the legal visas for the Mexican day shoppers that come across here, it's resulted in a lot of fuzzy math. Like if you can allow me to dive into the numbers a little bit here, like for a year and a half starting uh, with Trump, they invalidated all the millions of visas for, these are legal visas for Mexicans that come across and shop in the US. There was estimated to be about 4 million uh, legal visas. They were invalidated and said you couldn't come across for non-essential purposes. So um, it made all of our local retail merchants go bankrupt here. Well, 90% of them. Uh, but a lot of those people, they had jobs in the US and families in the US. So these are people with legal documents, but they can't come across the border. Some of them were caught in Mexico during the COVID era. So that put pressure on them to cross between the ports of entry. So that generated some uh, fake statistics. And this whole Title 42 thing um, prevents the normal Title 8, which is the U.S. immigration law. Anything to do with immigration, tourist visas, student visas, work visas, asylum, there's health and safety provisions. This Title 42 blocks the utilization of the normal federal law that covers uh, anything to do with immigration. And what's kind of funny is Title 42 is only a COVID restriction. That's all it is, COVID. You know, it's a COVID mandate. And it's funny, the people that want it to stay in place are the same yeah. ones that deny that there was any kind of a COVID issue in the first place and that it's all a scam, but yet they want it to stay there. Well, but and I think they'd admit any excuse, right? <laughs> any excuse. And, you know, that they'll use any excuse. And they also will talk about this nonsense like human trafficking, human slavery, human smuggling, sex trafficking anything that doesn't sound xenophobic or racist or anything like that. But then they don't propose the use of Title 42 on the Canadian border or walls on the Canadian border. So it's kind of, it's weird to see these people kind of pick and choose their phraseology on, on how they say things. And also, Scott, under Title 42, since there's no processing, there's zero processing. If people show up at the port of entry and they stand in line and then you're on U.S. territory, if they have some kind of documents to present to ask for something, some kind of a visa or some kind of a asylum thing or whatever, uh, that under Title 42, there's no processing. So they're immediately turned around and sent back. And then Border Patrol does the same thing between the, the ports, turn around and send them back with no processing. So it's estimated that 40% of the numbers right now on the southwest border are repeat crossers. They just come right back and come right back. There's huh. there's no processing. And it's, it's just kind of goofy. They've like shut down all what's all included in Title VIII all immigration processing, anything to do with visas and the border and asylum and anything like that has all been shut down by this Title 42 uh, nonsense. Uh, but it's become this big political football here. You know, Democrats and Republicans alike are all saying, yeah, we got to keep Title 42 in place until we have a game plan. And there's always the inevitable talk about caravans on the way and invasions along the way. And just anecdotally, I live right next to the border and me and my wife walk every night parallel with the border. It's peaceful. Our crime statistics here are lower than the average for the state of Arizona. But this crisis mentality about the border gets votes for certain people. Mm. And, and, and if mm -hmm. I know I'm just talking a mile a minute here, but you know, on Brittany Schaefer's fantastic podcast, she had a guy named Todd CV on there two times. And he said, you know what? Um, 
immigration and borders has become the single issue to define whether you're a conservative or a liberal, whether you're a good Republican or a good Democrat, you know, and he said, as long as you're correct on that, you can be wrong on everything else and still be accepted on the right or on the left. So for example, if you say you're in favor of an East Berlin style wall with razor wire on the top and a machine gun nest every hundred meters, you'll be accepted on the right, even if you're wrong on everything else, even if you're wrong on the Second Amendment, on religion, on Israel, on gender issues, on climate change. It's become the single issue. And people will hate my guts, you know, on the right um, if I'm talking on border issues or they hate my guts on the left if I'm talking about talking against mask mandates and and vaccine mandates. But kind of the main thing I've faced here is I've been war at war with the governor here in Arizona with all the border stuff. Yeah, man. So a few different things here to talk about. So first of all, um, on the blimp and the drones and all this surveillance tech that you say is miles inland, is that just because they need that perspective? So they're not looking straight down. They got a better idea of what they're looking at, or this is really all a pretext for surveilling the American population is sort of what you're implying, but then you're saying they're not sharing any of the any of the information with you that you would use for criminal matters. But are they giving it to the DEA and the FBI to use for criminal matters, but just on the federal level and cutting um, you out? Or is well, this really <laughs> about the border rather than the? I don't know. You know, you know, it's funny. Like you know, I don't. They don't communicate that stuff with me, but as it so happens, before I was sheriff, I was the head of DEA here in the uh, in in this part of Arizona, Southern Arizona, and there was spy blimps for uh, that was a radar platform, low flying uh, aircraft in the a county just to the east, uh, Cochise County, and they that went up through all this high, you know, top secret SCI fusion center stuff in Washington, and it never made it down to federal law enforcement in this area. I think it's all just a boondoggle for all these vendors and Raytheon and every, everybody else. They just, as long as they get their money, as long as they get the, get the contract with the feds, they don't care if they, you know, um, you know, classify it to the hilt and that nobody ever gets to see it. But I don't know the answer to hmm. who all's getting this light, latest, uh, you know, video feeds here, but <laughs> well, look, you know, I mean, I, in that, I, I'm not going to. In the one news report that I saw from the PBS station there, you know, they're talking to a lady from the neighborhood who says, well, I used to go on walks with my daughter, but now I'm afraid to go out of the house because this thing is watching me and I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. And it's, it's creepy because there's three residential neighborhoods, right? under the blimp and surrounding the blimp. And it's quite quite a ways from the from the border. Um, you know, there's the one called the Rancho Grande neighborhood, one called Royal Road neighborhood, one called the Nogalitos neighborhood, and there's a, a, a highway going uh, from the border to a little town called Patagonia. So that's what it's anchored over those things. So um, it, is, it is worrisome, and I've never been briefed on it, and they don't tell me, you know, what it's doing. Of course, and the I same think, lady, David, said yep. that, you know, I'm in my bathroom naked and there's this red light shining in my window, yep. which yeah. means, you know, if the light is on her, then that means the camera is on her, too, or at least presumably yeah. is. I is wish there was to believe that. Yeah, I wish there was some ambitious kids with spray cans and would go up and spray paint either a hammer and sickle on the side of the thing when it's docked at night or a swastika or something like that. You know, <laughs> I think that would be. You know, <laughs> on the tail, right? So it looks like the Hindenburg. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, um, 
I don't know if you know this, one of the other things I've been fa facing ever since I've been sheriff here, it's a, coming up on two years, but I'm replacing the guy who was the longest serving sheriff in, in Arizona. And so everybody and their brother wanted to run for this. And, you know, and I was all against the COVID stuff at the time that, you know, the, all the things the, the governor had done and the local people had implemented. So people were telling me I shot myself in the foot, but it turned out that, you know, and I thought, well, if people are that dumb, uh, if they don't vote for me, then, you know, I deserve to lose. But it turned out it was a landslide. And of the six guys running, I got four times as many votes as the guy who came in second place. So I've just kind of right. stayed on the the freedom train. And then this current governor, and he's going out of office in one day, he just hates my guts. Because the first thing he did was, when I got in here, he declared an emergency on the border. And usually when a governor declares emergency and they say they're going to use the National Guard, there's usually a parallel federal emergency. So the governor gets reimbursed, like if it's a flood or a hurricane or an earthquake or something like that. But this one, there was no parallel um, emergency declaration of a crisis at the border. So he appropriated tens of millions of dollars to send the National Guard to the border. And he called the four border sheriffs, including me. Um, it was actually a major general that was in charge of the National Guard for Arizona, called me on behalf of the governor and said, how many troops do you want in your county? And I, I told him, none. Like, I don't want to make this into a war zone like East Berlin and my local merchants won't like it with guys walking through the streets with machine guns and, you know, you know, making it look like, like there's some military conflict in the area here. So, um, I, and there's a law in the U.S. called Posse Comitatus that says the military cannot be used as a domestic police force. So they have to be under a sponsoring agency. So as the chief law enforcement officer for the county, they had to get my permission. I said no. That got Ducey teed off. So then he wrote a letter to the 48 contiguous states to their governor saying, send your uh, law enforcement officers from your states, either state police or sheriffs, or your National Guard to the border to to deal with the border crisis. And him and Governor Abbott in Texas both did the same thing. So far, 11 states have responded and said they're going to send, you know, sheriff's deputies from various counties in Florida and other places here. Now, I went to my board of supervisors and said, I'm not going to allow this. I'm not going to deputize them. I'm not going to allow them to work here. They're not certified peace officers in Arizona. So then Ducey issued an executive order and put it up on his executive order website saying um, he's going to blanket um, certify all of them as peace officers without going through any training if they come in from other states for the purpose of the border. And then since I wouldn't sponsor them, he created a thing called the Border Strike Force that, that's under the state police and put them all under the state police. And so then that was like... <laughs> how many how many cops from other states came for that? Well, none have shown up in my county yet. They have yeah. showed up in two of the other border, border counties. Do they know here. about this dispute? I mean, you ought to at least yeah. contact them and let them know that like, hey, Sheriff's Department to Sheriff's Department, I'm in a dispute with the higher ups here. And if you were here, you'd be on my side kind of thing. And maybe yeah, they'll drop and, and out. And I've told them that I've yeah. told them it's, there's friendly fire issues, officer safety issues. Cause you have different uniforms, different frequencies. We don't know you guys. If you come here and they haven't come here yet, unless they've come here surreptitiously and I haven't seen them. Like I haven't had any reports of, of them being here, you know, but he, he tried that ploy, but they've gone to, to other counties. Like there's four border counties in Arizona and they've, they've gone to the other counties. And then, so, you know, 
I fought him on that. And then there's this whole thing. I don't know if you've heard this. Sounds like you're out ahead on it. I mean, he's got all these (laughs) authorities that you don't have, but he's still not following through. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's, and I've made a big stink about it, you know, just to kind of protect myself, you know, I made a big stink in all the different levels of media and newspaper and radio TV and all that. And Mm -hmm. I do a lot of Spanish media too, about, half or three quarters is in Spanish, Univision and Telemundo and Azteca TV. Like I do a lot of, you know, reaching out on, on Spanish media too, even like European, you know, stations, Spanish stations. And so, and so the next thing is Ducey, Governor Ducey said, I'm going to build a wall out of these shipping containers, these 40 foot shipping containers and double stack them and put razor wire on the top and build them along the uh the border in arizona so he stacked stacked up hundreds of these containers at the national guard armory in the town where i live in nogales arizona and i made a big stink out of it publicly and then they moved them out of my county and they started putting them in two adjacent border counties cochise county and yuma county Um, and then they started getting close to this county and it was declared illegal by the federal government because they were doing it on federal land, you know, Forest mm-hmm. Service, Bureau of Land Management. So um, I, I made a big stink about that, you know, that we weren't going to allow, the, you know, the, I, I was going to treat that as illegal dumping, you know, like throwing trash you know, on public land. And I was going to, you know, I was going to charge them with illegal dumping, you know, like as if I can do anything to these, uh, these contractors and they had armed private security. They didn't have any government employees out there but they had protesters going out there to protest this this container wall going up and they were being threatened by the armed private security for the contractors out there and you know of course their talent tearing in the hillsides with their big track hose and stuff and leveling areas to put this container wall federal government sued them and then they were just ordered last week that they have to take them all out so that's been kind of a ongoing battle but they had like these tiananmen square type situations where the contractors stopped doing it during the day and they would come at two or three in the morning and start trying to make this container wall. But the protesters would camp out there and run in front of these tracked vehicles in the middle of the night out in the boonies and, and successfully stopped it. But it was, it was like kind of a, a funny situation, but kind of, you know, potentially dangerous too of the, the type of clashes, but that's been another thing. And, and like I say, man, the neocons hate my guts on that. I've got so many, I don't report any of this, but I've got so many, you know, death threats and social media stuff filled with profanity and, and, you know, letters in the mail that are unsigned and no return address that are kind of like put together, like with, like on some dirty Harry movie, you know, they do a, a threat cutting out things out of the newspaper. So you can't tell their hand handwriting. It's just kind of, it's funny, but they really, you know, tell me that, you know, they're going to kill me and this and that, and just filled with profanity, you know, these people that would call themselves Christian conservatives. It's just kind of really funny, the kind of the way the right hates me for certain things and the left hates me for other things. Yeah, well, ain't that always the way. But so, I mean, for the right-leaning listeners here, why wouldn't you want to build a wall? That's their highest priority for reasons. Yep. Right. Well, let, um, it's yeah. not just that they hate Mexicans. There's Mexicans everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you can't let's, keep Mexicans let's just, out with a wall, man. So yeah, let's let's flash back 34 years to Reagan. Reagan stood in front of the Brandenburg Brandenburg Gate of the Berlin Wall in 1989, and at that point, uh, you know. So the Soviet Union was making ovations as if they were going to become more of a free country and free trade with the rest of the world, and and you know Reagan. Reagan you know, was saying, you know, you say you're 
emerging into freedom. Um, and, you know, we'll tear down this wall, you know, this Iron Curtain, Berlin Wall. And back in Reagan's time, you didn't even need a, a passport or any documentation to return as an American to the U.S. like you do now. So Reagan was against walls. He was against tariffs. And I tell people this, Scott, I said, you know, um, walls not only keep people out, they keep you in. And many people don't know this, especially the more conservative people. They don't know that when they create these choke points at the ports of entry, they're now searching you as you leave. The U.S. officers have permanent checkpoints as you leave, and they take your money, they take your possessions, take your guns, um, and they they don't charge you with a crime. They take it under civil asset forfeiture. So as we lose as we lose our freedoms in this country, and you want to expatriate to Mazatlan or Acapulco or Wymas or one of those places, and there's huge American communities down there, um, it's getting harder to do that. The more they succeed on making a wall. You may not realize, but 15 years ago, there was a pilot program that started where they had people, U.S. officers in the southbound lanes, looking through cars as they leave the country. And then there was no search as they went into Mexico by the Mexican officials. And now they've put permanent structures there, permanent structures to search the vehicles as they leave. So as you make more of a wall, you create more of an East Berlin type situation where it becomes an issue of people having a hard time getting out. And there's a lot of fuzzy math to uh, Scott that people don't know about. They see the statistics and they don't know certain things. Like for example, there's no tabulation of the number of people leaving the US, both Hispanic, Mexicans, Americans, expats, but I see every day whole, you know, households full of furniture and pickup trucks going down to Mexico, um, Hispanic people leaving the U.S. going back to Mexico. There's very high paying jobs and these fancy computer controlled factories down there. Uh, they're not sweatshops. And there's no tabulation of how many people are leaving the U.S. to deduct from how many people they say are coming in. And if you look at the last... Uh, complete year of census data that we have for which would be for 2021. 2021 was the lowest year of population growth in the history of the US. If you look back at the way over, you know, whatever it is, 240 years of history of the US, um, it's the lowest growth rate in history, 0.1% growth. And that's from all sources, from immigration, for native born Americans. So, so to say that there's any kind of, uh, you know, an invasion, is ridiculous. And another thing, there's always the talk about, uh, well, they're coming here for, you know, public assistance, like the welfare programs are a magnet to them. But actually, native born Americans are three times as likely to go on welfare as is a migrant that's coming here, you know, almost all of them are coming here to work, you know, and they pay into the system, but they don't take out benefits. So, you know, there's a lot of reason and there's a lot of other fuzzy math. Fox News likes to do this one. There's all these game cameras that they've put along the border uh, that are motion activated cameras. So they trigger anytime the wind blows, you know, and the leaves blow on the trees or there, a moth blows in front of the camera. And they're counting these ghost statistics as what they call gotaways or getaways. So they add hundreds of thousands of supposed uh, people coming into the U.S. just based on the number of time these game cameras trigger out there. And they're adding all that to the statistics and resulting in this fuzzy math. But I tell them, look, if you 
you know, you need to do, you need to add numbers to the statistics from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s if you're going to do that because you're comparing apples to oranges. Like I was born and grew up in this same area. My family's been in ranching here since the 1800s, since before Arizona became a state in 1912. And the Border Patrol guys would always say, yeah, we only catch one out, one out of every three or one out of every four. So if you're going to use these ghost numbers from just how many times these these hundreds of motion activated cameras trigger every 24 hours and add that to your statistics well you need to add a similar number uh to the previous decade statistics so i mean like i say there's a lot of playing with numbers title 42 and the invalidation of those all those valid yeah. visas resulted in a lot of fuzzy math yeah, that but- people yeah. So what about the uh, drug gangs? I mean, you said two things earlier in the interview that are worth reiterating here. Used to be the head of the DEA in those parts, and there's no cartels dealing drugs. Yeah. But yeah. everybody knows that that's where all the drugs come from. In fact, I just <laughs> read a thing the other day where the DEA claimed that they have busted as many doses they've confiscated as many doses of fentanyl in the last year as there are people in this country and that they all come from these two major cartels in mexico and if that's not true then who is the cia backing down there (laughs) well man there's a lot of stuff to that and you know first of all the 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 way dea and fbi gets their funding is by this kind of pyramid criminal organization structure. That's the way they sell things to Congress. And in DEA, we were mandated to report everything that went through, say, for example, this port of entry, uh, the ports of entry in Arizona to be under uh, the Sinaloa cartel. And you had to put that case number on everything, even though it's just some mope with some dope in his spare tire or something like that. It and because that's how they get their funding from Congress, they have to do it as international organizations. Um, even though the local communities go to Congress and cry for just local funds to deal with local crack houses and 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 that kind of stuff. But another thing they do is they conflate migrants with uh, drug drug traffickers, and it's two completely different things. But they would say that all these migrants that come across the border are all bringing fentanyl. And if I can digress a little bit into the fentanyl subject, you know, every every time you try to prohibit a substance, we learned this during alcohol prohibition from 1920 to 1933, things always get stronger that are being imported. So the primary drink of preference of Americans before prohibition was beer and wine, low alcohol percentage drinks. After prohibition and during prohibition, that taste changed to hard liquor, gin, vodka, whiskey. Why? Because the smugglers are smart. They know you're mainly importing water if you import wine and beer. So to avoid risk at the border, they would import things like gin and and vodka and whiskey across the Canadian border and the Mexican border. Same thing happened when I was a kid with why sell Mexican dirt weed when if you're going to get charged, you're going to get charged by the pound. Might as well be selling much better weed at a much better margin for the same risk. That's how we got to fentanyl. Like now let's go to drugs that aren't alcohol. Like the taste for Americans of um, for marijuana was just regular low THC ditch weed that you could find in the U.S. And for the Asian community, raw opium. So once we had, you know, uh, you know, drug prohibition, which they didn't bother to pass an amendment like they did with alcohol prohibition. So it's not allowed under, under the Constitution. Once they did that, drug, drug uh, smugglers were smart again. Instead of importing low THC ditchweed marijuana, they imported sensimia, hash, hash oil. 
And in, instead of raw opium, they imported, you know, heroin. Uh, why? The same reason. If you can have more potency in a small package and bring it in that way, you run less risk. It takes 400 kilos of raw opium to make one kilo of heroin. So it's obviously much less risk to get one kilo of heroin, cut it into a few pieces, tape it around your body and walk around the border than 400 kilos of opium. So it always results in a concentration of the potency of drugs. If you prohibit something, that's a natural result, just like it was with alcohol. So it went from marijuana to hash, hash oil, sinsamia, marijuana. It went from raw opium to heroin and then from heroin to fentanyl because fentanyl can be up to 1,000 times stronger than heroin. So it takes a lot less to get the same, the same uh, you know, potency. So it's just a natural progression of prohibition. It always results in that. And so then they, they don't blame the prohibition. They blame the fact that drugs are now more concentrated or that alcohol was more concentrated. And, and another negative consequence of prohibition is you know, like, like any time that you have a government intervention and then you notice a problem from that intervention, the worst thing you can do is make another government intervention to solve the problem for the first one. So after uh, prohibition from 1920 to 1933, during that time, we had the first gang violence, the first drive-by shooting. So guess what? They had the bright idea to draft the first firearms laws. So in 1933, the last year of prohibition, they drafted the National Firearms Act, which made certain categories of firearms illegal. And then it passed into law in 1934, the year when prohibition went away. So that was the fact that we have so many gun laws at the national level is a direct result of prohibition. So you can say, and then the they took thing. all those prohibition federal cops and made them the new drug cops and under the Marijuana Tax Act of 37 and then yeah. I don't know the heroin law. The Harrison know. Harrison Tax Act and yeah. and yeah and yeah and, and all that. So you know you can have that with you can use that same analogy on say the the immigration restrictions. You like say people mention welfare. Oh there's a welfare magnet to bring you know, to, for people to come in. Well, you should get rid of welfare. Like when I worked in the DEA, we noticed that um, the first day of the month, uh, the welfare checks came in. So that's when the big drug shipments came in. I worked in the Midwest for a while and they came in to coincide within the welfare checks come in. So you could conclude, well, idle hands is the devil's workshop. We're giving out welfare money. People use it to buy drugs with. So you know what? Let's start a drug war. Let's make something like the DEA and make the drugs illegal that are being bought with welfare money when what you should really do is get rid of the the original government intervention that caused the problem in the first place. I'm like, sorry, it, I'm it, just over here laughing my ass off listening to a libertarian sheriff explain <laughs> the law, the iron laws of the universe from a position <laughs> where none of your colleagues anywhere else in this nation would understand even what you're talking about. You know? <laughs> Look, look at what might have caused the problem in the first place, huh? Yeah. And, it's and completely of course, alien. You might as well start speaking Greek. And, and nobody wants when they interview me when Fox News or CNN or ABC, CBS, when, when they interview me, they don't want to give me the time. Just like Ron Paul, they didn't want to hear the background where the story started. They just wanted to have a soundbite about where we are right now. So, you know, when they interview me and put a camera in my face, I might talk to them 20 minutes and get the whole story out. But all they want is like two five second sound bites and then they have the 
the newsreader doing a dramatic narration over the top of that and with ominous music in the background. And they'll maybe pick the two, the two most awkward moments about it. It's not going to be the part where I explain about why drug prohibition is a failed policy. I, I will say that. But, you know, for the evening news, the little part about me opposing Governor Ducey is only going to be like a one-minute segment mm -hmm. between commercials and whatnot and the weather and sports and all that. And so they'll they'll build up to it with the newsreader building up to it and then they'll show some imagery imagery of some drugs or something like that and then they'll cut me in you know a couple of times five seconds each so i don't the background never makes it in there so that's why i like podcasts because right. you can actually explain things question do you mind if i talk about the kiki Camarena thing a little bit like this just bugs me to no end there was a dea agent in mexico in 1985 that was killed and reportedly tortured to death by drug traffickers. Now, my first assignment with DEA back in the 80s in Southern California, you know, you interview informants. An informant came in and he said, I'm a CIA pilot. And that's not what happened. That ranch where, you know, where uh, 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 Caro Quintero, Rafael Caro Quintero, the guy in his group that allegedly tortured Kiki Camarena to death, that was the transshipment point for CIA drugs coming from Ali North's, uh, you know, uh, system to provide funding for the Contras after Congress denied any military funding to the Contras. So they raised money through cocaine smuggling, and it went through Rancho Veracruz, which is Caro Quintero's place in Mexico, on the way to the U.S. And then, of course, if you read Gary Webb and those type of things, you get, you get the other part of the story. But so I heard that, and I documented it. And then, you know, this whole investigation kicked off like, ooh, you know, a federal agent, U.S. federal agent killed in Mexico. We're going to make this a priority within DEA. So various agents did the investigation on this. And the lead investigator, the lead DEA agent, was Hector Bereyes. And he went down there, no nonsense, interviewed everybody, and found out the same thing. A, a recording appeared on a cassette tape of the torture session of Kiki Camarena, and it was made by the CIA agent in the room that was verified by multiple people. And and it and it's all official. If you want to, th there's a great series on uh, on Amazon, probably on Netflix too, called The Last Narc, and it actually has everything unredacted, all the names of all the guys involved, and the investigation and everything. And he just it, that guy just said, you know, I don't care that this isn't going anywhere. And they threatened to fire him when he started putting the, the finger on the on the CIA. Uh, but you know, and I noticed that in other places too. I worked eight years in South America. I down there with the team that I had of Bolivians working, we targeted a place that was the biggest traffickers in the country. And then we found out that we noticed on our surveillance, the CIA team was going in and out of that same house. So we didn't do an operations plan when we took it down because the ambassador and the spooks and the embassy would have shut it all down. We just went and hit the place. And boy, everybody got all upset at the embassy level. And then the spooks were mad because we had their guy in prison. And so they hired a DEA pilot who was our informant. They didn't know he was our informant to do the bus team. And they came in with RPGs and full automatic weapons to break their spook out of prison in, in Bolivia. But then the pilot was our informant. And so we boosted, uh, we, we busted their their team of spooks that came in to bust their guy out of prison. So, I mean, this stuff is not 
fake, Scott, when you hear that kind of stuff about the CIA has no end game. DEA, for all its shortcomings, at least they have the end game of going to court, you know, like testifying in court and where you confront witnesses and you have a defense attorney. But CIA has no no end game. They just want to go play super spook and import drugs and, you know, write secret cables to Washington. Well, you know, but there's there's no end game other than just smuggling dope. Yeah. Hey, man, you guys should all sign up for the Libertarian Institute's email list. Will Porter's been putting together this great newsletter every week. And all you got to do is go to the bottom of the page at libertarianinstitute.org and sign up there. It's real dang good. At the Libertarian Institute, we publish books. Real good ones. So far, we've got Will Griggs' No Quarter, Sheldon Richmond's Coming to Palestine, and What Social Animals Owe to Each Other, and four of mine, Fool's Aaron, Enough Already, the great Ron Paul, and my brand new one, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And I'm happy to announce that we've just published our managing editor Keith Knight's first one, The Voluntarist Handbook, an excellent collection of essays by the world's greatest libertarian thinkers and writers, including me. Check them all out at libertarianinstitute.org books. And for a limited time, signed copies of Enough Already and Hotter Than the Sun are available at scotthorton.org books. Hey guys, I had some wasps in my house, so I shot them to death with my trusty Bug Assault 3.0 model with the improved salt reservoir and bar safety. I don't have a deal with them, but the show does earn a kickback every time you get a Bug Assault or anything else you buy from Amazon.com by way of the link in the right-hand margin on the front page at scotthorton.org. So keep that in mind. And don't worry about the mess. Your wife will clean it up. You know, an important part of my political education, uh, when I was young, I remember listening to the radio and this little old lady was called in the Carl Wigglesworth show. And so now, Carl, I'm reading Compromised, Clinton, Bush, and the CIA by Terry Reid. Are you looking at this? What in the world? <laughs> These men. And so that was the whole narrative when Clinton came in was... This guy's not just a bad guy because, oh, you don't like liberal Democrats or whatever. He's a bad guy because he's H.W. Bush's guy. He's, yeah. you know, the, the CIA was running cocaine into his state. Hell, Ross Perot was running guns for the CIA out of a factory in Mexico at yeah, the same the, time. The, the these Mina three Arkansas men all ran, stuff. huh? Yeah. 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 So, so, um, but then this is total crazy conspiracy theory land that, um, you know, drugs... <laughs> especially, you know, cocaine was the connection between H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton during the Iran-Contra days before these guys ran against each other for president and all that. And then essentially they conspiracy theoried that subject away and just kind of buried it. Uh, John Kerry had held some hearings, not that they implicated Arkansas in a, in uh, the Kerry hearings, I don't think, but um, it was a little bit of a subject there for a minute. Gary Webb, of course, in the Dark Alliance series, but then it just went away until, what, two, three years ago, they put out a Tom Cruise movie, American Made, where, look, Tom Cruise is Barry Seal, and it's all true. Yeah, well, and you know, on this guy that tortured Kiki Camarena to death, there's pictures of him with George Bush, you know, Bush Sr. Remember, oh, he really? was like the head of the CIA. This guy's name, he's a, a Cuban CIA agent named Felix Rodriguez. Oh, and same guy. Yeah, he's the guy that killed uh, Che Guevara. 
Yeah, Ed, that's exactly right. He was down there in Bolivia, killed Che Guevara. And I worked in Bolivia for, for five years and went to the graveside of, of Che Guevara. He's the same guy. And that's why when it got, when DEA did the investigation and showed that Kiki Camarena, the DEA agent, was killed by the CIA who recorded the torture uh, the, 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 the torture that tortured him to death when it got to, got to Washington and they realized this is DEA investigating the CIA. Um, they threatened to extradite the DEA agent making the, doing the investigation to Mexico because they had a warrant on him in Mexico because of his investigation down there. But yeah, if you, if you do me a favor tonight, it's free on Amazon Prime. It's a series called The Last Narc. There's four episodes. If you just want to cut to the chase, just watch the last episode. And it has, it shows all the pictures of him sitting with, uh, with, with, with uh, Bush Sr. And it has the recording that he made of the torture session and it has all the witnesses that were in the room when wow. Kiki Camarena was being tortured to death that identified the guy. It's just, it's just absolutely solid. There's no innuendo here. I mean, it's just a hundred percent confirmed. Yeah, man. So listen, um, I'm going off on a tangent. We can find our way back if we want, but the first time you ever came to my attention was a thing that you wrote for LouRockwell.com about the Oklahoma city bombing. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I learned this from Sybil Edmonds. I don't know if you remember her, but mm -hmm. she she got in trouble trying to write things. She worked for the Spooks as a translator. And they have these publication boards so that you don't reveal anything they don't want revealed. And so she she came up with this theory that she could write, tell a lot of truth by writing fiction. So what I did, I knew what happened in that thing because I was working uh, in the south southwestern U.S. Uh, in an office out in the desert for DEA, but the ATF only had two agents um, to work the whole area. So we always pitched in on their cases and we, we knew what was going on. So on that thing, we all knew the feds all knew what happened and, and what happened. It was this whole thing. Remember where they were trying to have the militia movement and that became the focus of the feds and everything. So everybody was working on that. And you had a ATF a case agent and his informant unknowingly working against an FBI agent and his informant. And the AT, the ATF did what's called a controlled delivery, if you've ever heard that term. Like there's two kind of undercover operations. It's one where the agents go take out money and they buy something illegal, like drugs or like machine gun or something like that. And then what they call a reverse undercover operation where you provide the illegal thing, the explosive, the drugs, the guns or whatever. So ATF provided a load of... Um, uh, ammonium fertilizer uh, to be uh, blown up, but they provided the wrong kind, ammonium sulfate. So they couldn't get it to blow up when they sent their informant to teach these guys how to blow it up or to pay them to blow it up. So then they gave them a load of ammonium, uh, ammonium nitrate and the fuel oil mixture, which is called ANFO, that kind of explosive. They gave the load to uh, the informant with the instructions to go to Oklahoma City you know, this was like the feds always do. They put these things in motion and they pay everybody to do it. But sometimes the thing actually happens because <laughs> the agents get lazy or they lose sight of what's going on. And the thing you pay for actually happens. The one thing they were lacking was detonators. So there was an uh, FBI agent that had a foreman into a place in Oklahoma called Elohim City, Oklahoma, where they had this group of, you know, um, I don't know, I don't, there may be kind of... Uh, these, uh, you know, patriot, maybe white nationalist types or something like that. And 
um, he th this one informant for the FBI was talking to the informant for the ATF, unknowing that they were talking to informants. And the ATF informant says, we need detonators because we just have the ANFO, but you have to have a detonator like blasting caps. So um, the, the ATF informant was telling the ATF agent, look, I have these guys, they're ready to bite and they're going to provide the detonators, not knowing it was the FBI. And so the FBI informant was telling the FBI agent, I have these guys, they have the ANFO, they're ready to bite. I just need to provide the detonators. So there's this detonator called, uh, uh, what's it called? Kinesticks. And so the FBI provided the detonators, uh, ATF provided the ANFO, and then they just kind of, you know, weekends come and go and agents are on vacation and stuff. <laughs> they lose track. And the thing that they paid for, that the FBI and the ATF paid for, came to fruition in Oklahoma City. So I wrote that as fiction, just because like Sybil Edmonds says, you know, you can't get things past these publication boards without, you know, endangering yourself, you know, <laughs> if you don't. so I, I don't remember if I wrote that on Libertarian Institute or LouRockwell.com. I've written a lot of things on Lou Rockwell and on Libertarian Institute, especially back in the Will Grigg era. I've, I've had more stuff on Libertarian Institute. More recently, I've done it on Lou Rockwell, but that's somewhere out there on the internet. But it was one of those things I thought that story needs to be told. A lot of feds know about that. Well, now, so... Let me follow up on a couple of things there. So when you're talking about the ATF and providing the ammonium nitrate and all of that, you're saying in Arizona? No, I was working in California at the time. But, you know, Western states are big, so ATF didn't have enough agents to control their different things, their, their um, surveillances and stuff. And so we it got to the point when they've provided this reverse undercover load of ANFO that they lost control of it. Mm -hmm. They but lost which, a load of ANFO. Which ATF office are we talking about that did? An Arizona uh, office I, or a California office? Or? Yeah, well, they tried to, they blowed it. They, they actually successfully, first they couldn't blow it up out in the desert. I can't remember if it was Nevada or something like that. And then they were able to blow it up after they got the right kind, after ATF got them the right kind. But after they got the shipment, to go meet what they didn't know was the the FBI informant. They lost that load. That happens with controlled deliveries all the time. Like the and DEA can, will. Do will you give remember a load now? Of, I mean, can you tell me who were the ATF informants who were no, doing I don't, the purchase and I don't have connections and dots? names. And when I wrote that thing up, I used all pseudonyms and right. you know fake names. You know, just like Bob Jones type names and stuff like that. So you know. But well, anyway, listen, it was... I sure hope that uh, you carry a gun, Sheriff, because um, I need you to live long enough to talk to my buddy Richard Booth here. And, you know, he's, I think, the best reporter that we have on this case right now. And he's put together the Oklahoma City bombing archive at the Institute. And, and I and know I he can... would know all the proper follow up questions for yeah. you that I just can't. And I know you have a whole ar archive on that. I can't remember if I wrote that for you, Libertarian Institute or Lou Rockwell. I think but that was at LRC. A, I think that's the first thing by you that I ever read. And it was, wow, a guy who, you know, clearly knows about what's going on with OKC, but who has former DEA agent attached to his name, which means you know these things in a way that, you know, some of us read a lot of J.D. Cash and William Jasper Others of us were DEA officers here who knew the ATF agents involved in all these things, yeah. which is a whole well, important... And, you know, it's not fun being kind of like an executive branch position like that because 
there there's people that love you on some things and hate your guts on other things like kind of both sides politically you know i would my my dream someday is if i could just be like a ron paul just voting no on all the garbage or something like a position like that but you know you're, you're right like in the like an executive branch thing like this when you're a position to take action you know or like you're in a position like like where jfak said he wanted to tear up the cia into a thousand people pieces and scatter them into the wind you know you start and and i will uh vocally oppose raytheon which is the biggest employer in my area in tucson they're the biggest employer you know and just all they're pushing all this ukraine war nonsense and everything and um i vocally oppose that stuff but you know i'm you know i'm I'm kind of aware that people don't like that you you shine a light on those kind of things but you know it's like yeah like i said i mean if i I would like rather be like, say something like a legislative position where you could just like vote no on everything, 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 just like the Libertarian Institute, like, you know, we're against everything, you know, just vote no on everything. That would be like a more relaxing life. Well, look, I mean, it sounds to me like you're taking a pretty libertarian stance. I mean, how do you treat, uh, for example, uh, possession and you know nonviolent offenses against state edicts and these kinds of things compared yeah. to real crimes well i have a, i'm in charge of a huge jail here and mark victor you probably know him on uh, the attorneys for freedom guy like he uh, on his podcast you know he asked me that question too you know like well there's nonviolent crimes you know like drug possession and drug crimes and things like that I can go so far without being and held even in warrants for outstanding fines that didn't get paid and all yeah. that kind of henpeck you to death stuff. Well, well, the problem is there's the reality that that I would be found in contempt of court if I if I yeah. violated a judicial order. These these warrants, like say for failure to appear or you know for a drug warrant. It will say it will be signed by the court of first instance, which here is the Superior Court in Arizona, or be by a federal court, district court. And it will say to any authorized law enforcement officer, you were hereby ordered to take this person into custody and remand them to the custody of the nearest sheriff or, you know, or take them to the nearest federal magistrate if it's a federal charge. So if I had somebody like that brought into the jail, you know, if I tried to just say this is a victimless crime, and I'm going to turn you loose. I would be found in contempt of court, and yeah. there would be a warrant out for me. So there's kind of well, you got certain... some discretion, but I could see when it comes to judicial warrants, you don't. Yeah, but like, when it comes it... to enforcing legislative uh, mandates and oh, and oh yeah, like I told the deputies, and... yeah, that we're not going to do any of that. Like this is one of those counties where they had a countywide mask mandate and a social distancing mandate, a um, Occup reduced occupancy mandate. The governor had a statewide curfew during Black, Black Lives Matter. Uh, so I made it clear to the media, to the press, that we're not going to enforce any of that, like these reduced occupancy things. Mm -hmm. And you had to ask permission from the county board of supervisors if you wanted to assemble with 10 or more people. That clearly violates right. the First Amendment, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, because the church is shut down because of that same edict. So I I made it clear that we're not going to charge anybody for mass violations. And is it the case then that the churches in your county stayed open because they were like, no way, we have a sheriff who respects our rights and is going to protect them, and so they yeah, didn't go along? There some did and and some that didn't because mm -hmm. they, you know, they're slaves to the dollars they get and they're slaves to political correctness, you know, so they want to look like, and all these churches have, you know, U.S. flags in the background and everything. But some of them really took advantage is the point is they said, no yeah. way, our sheriff is standing up for us and so we're going. 
Yeah. And as a matter of fact, the two churches that did that in the East County mm-hmm. invited me out to be a guest speaker. They had a group called the Constitutional Conservatives of Southern Arizona, met in two different churches. And I go out there and it was packed with people during the mask mandates and the and the occupancy mandates, social distancing. We had all those rules in place here. And I had the county manager um, call me and say, we heard, Sheriff, that you were out in this church and there was 150 people and no one was wearing a mask and everything. You know, so they they tried to browbeat me on that stuff, but, you know, they don't have the authority, like kind of the sheriff as the chief law enforcement officer. Nobody really has the authority to arrest me. You know, I guess that maybe the feds, if there was some public corruption issue, they could do some sort of a public corruption investigation and, I don't know, maybe file some federal charge. But there's the county board of supervisors can make any goofy law they want. And when it comes to enforcement, I can just decide this is unconstitutional or it doesn't make sense. People may be concerned about wearing a mask, you know, for their health and not want to be breathing in all that carbon dioxide and all those, you know, you know, bacteria and mold spores that build up in the mask. Well, so and that's the important yeah. thing, right, is that, you know, you're coming from that point of view of not just nullification, but of individual liberty that you're trying to protect so that when you do nullify the error rate is in favor of human freedom every time. It's not that you're getting away with abusing people. You're yeah, getting away it, with ignoring your supposed superiors' uh, yeah. commands to you. But that's you know a heroic thing in that circumstance. So and, and if I can just mention a little thing that I'm kind of conflicted about. There's a movement, which I guess many libertarians, conservatives would consider it a good movement, a movement towards local, local government, you know, county officials, a sheriff where you can go spit in his face and whatnot, a movement away from national. And I think, well, okay, after the last elections, everybody lost faith in national level politics. You know, from one perspective, that sounds good. But also, I'm I'm acutely aware that the office of the sheriff is not legitimate. I mean, it's based it's not a market creation. It's based on taxes which are stolen, you know, that's theft. There's no price signals, there's no market signals to say what should the size be of the sheriff's office? Should it be bigger? Should it be littler, littler? Should it not exist at all where people will do their own private security? So as long as you have compulsory taxation, it's not really, you know, sheriff's departments and police uh, police departments aren't legitimate market creation. So you don't even know if people would want something like that. So I guess you could kind of say the movement towards local, you know, it's kind of, it kind of goes a little bit in line with the sort of secession movement and the idea that let's give up on national level politics, find little enclaves where we can live and where maybe there's a sheriff that allows you to, you know, preserve your freedom. So, you know, that's true, but from the other side of the coin, it's still promoting uh, statism. And, you know, the sheriff still, if you don't pay your taxes, they have a civil division in the sheriff's office where, you know, they do these writs of execution to go yeah. take people's houses or to do sheriff sales and auctions if you don't pay your taxes. Well, you know, I think, th- David, it's <laughs> fair to say that, look, you know, we want anarcho-capitalism, but it's not like we're going to have, uh, you know, Lenin and Trotsky lead a revolution and give us liberty by overthrowing the government. So the question is, how do you do it? And I think, that's the answer, right? It's nullification and interposition and decentralization as much as possible, as rapidly as possible. When we get yeah. to the point where you can go ahead and resign and no one's going to replace you, then hell yeah. But it's not like you're doing the wrong thing between now and then. Yeah. You know, and, this, you know, these are all a matter of battle pickings and, and um, status quos and, and all other things being equal to some degree or another. 
And, well, that, that's true. you know, look at it. Well, I wanted to ask you real quick because we're almost out of time here and, I, and you can work in whatever you have to say uh, here too, but would you please address guns? I don't even know if there are gun laws in Arizona. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe a couple less than there are in Texas, but there are certainly federal gun laws that would apply. And I know that people be eager to hear about, you know, when you're a sanctuary city from having to wear a mask, how about, or a sanctuary county from having to wear a mask and close your church and all these things. Well, what about turning over your guns to the feds under whatever taxes and loopholes and regulations that they've yeah. come up with? First of all, Arizona uh, multiple times has been ranked number one by the F, uh, by the NRA, you know, when they have their list of the 50 states of gun rights. I mean, everything's legal In Texas, here. You, we wear our guns concealed. In Arizona, right there on the hip for everybody yeah, and, to and, see. Yeah, any way you want. You can, you can own a machine gun. There's no state restriction. You can wear a gun concealed or out in the open. There's You don't need anything like a It is constitutional carry, carry in Texas now, too, by the way, but I yeah, was just okay. saying traditionally. You know, on every kind of ammo, you can have, you know, you can own hand grenades or anything at the state level. There's no prohibition. Now there's still the federal that you have to deal with, the transfer tax to get a machine gun or things like that. And of course, my position is, you know, 100% right for people to keep and bear arms. I think it's fairly well worded in the Constitution about the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So, you know, obviously, I am against even any federal attempt in my county to take guns away from people. And, you know, but, you know, I'm, yeah, hundred uh, percent in favor of, you know, people having freedom to, you know, own guns, use guns, carry guns, you know, anything like that. Well, have you ever had the opportunity to tell the ATF, beat it, I'm not going to let you enforce your regulations here, that kind of thing? No, not, not in this uh, community. Kind of something that winds up being sort of a gun law is these what they call enhancements on a lot of federal charges like uh-huh. uh DEA has these if you use of a use of a gun you know that's an enhancement you know and then there's like extra time extra 5 or 10 years that they'll tack that on different crimes which in essence is like you know uh gun laws and a lot of times it's not like brandishing gun it's just somebody possessed a gun in the trunk of their car and then they try to get that charged as a crime like border patrol tries to do that and they i had chief counsel's office from border patrol coming in a couple of weeks ago saying now if we're at the checkpoint and we open a trunk and there's a gun in there um you know we'd like to have some sort of you know charge that uh you know facilitation of something i go like no 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 they wanted because they don't have a similar charge at the federal level, like where I would just a charge just to do with a gun. And I go, absolutely not. I'm not going to do anything to do with, you know, gun charges, uh, either for state and local charges or federal or anything like that. But I haven't, that I can remember, I haven't had any specific occasions where that has come up. And you said, if I could fit anything else in, let me just say quickly, like, I don't, I can't expect to have a group of deputies in my office that all shares my insight. Why? Because when they go home to their kids and family, they don't want to say daddy's a thief. You know, daddy is stealing taxpayer money. (laughs) There's no market signals for this. So they're obviously going to go along with all the arguments for statism. We're parasites, son. Yeah, you know, you know the drug war. How I'm keep we're keeping you all safe. And daddy's a good guy. Nobody wants to go home and say daddy's a bad guy. Daddy's a thief. You know, it's like, uh, you know, patriotic. You know, a picture in front of the flag and all that. So I can't expect to have people that have my my mindset because, like Rothbard said, Rothbard said, if you were, they ask him, if you were elected president, Murray, what's the first thing you would do? And he said, resign. That would be the first thing. So it's like yeah. the whole thing is illegitimate. You know. Um, it, you know, like Will Grigg used to say, 
the law enforcement is the edge of the knife. You know, everybody else is just administrative bean counters. But when it comes to implementing stuff, it's it's law enforcement. And these guys are proud of what they do and, you know, that they're keeping they're keeping the community safe. They use that argument, you know, and you've heard they've heard that since they're kids. So they're they're not going to, like, start saying that their profession is an illegitimate profession. So just right. make that little note there. Yeah, well, you know what? I think you're doing a great job. As an anarcho-capitalist sheriff out there, David, sure sounds like it. And I sure appreciate your time on the show, man. Well, thank you, Scott. Sorry for talking so fast. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it again sometime and co uh, cover something else. <laughs> absolutely. Hope so. No, man, I had a great time. Appreciate it a lot. Okay. Thank you, Scott. All right, you guys. That is David Hathaway. He is the sheriff of Santa Cruz County out there in Arizona. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.